The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. I am very, very lucky to be joined today by Andrew Kanan and Debbie Schlesinger, who are the co-founders of the Art and Science of Joy and EQ Joy. Welcome. Thank you, Seema. Wonderful to, to be here. Thank you for being here. Wonderful to have an opportunity to chat. Yeah, same. Wait, where are you guys based right now? I didn't even ask you guys. Andrew, are you in Europe or are you here in the U.S.? Today, it's, what day is it today? Wednesday, and I'm in Los Angeles today. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And Debbie, you're in Los Angeles regularly. That's where your home is. Yes. Andrew and I have been working all week together. It's been lovely. That's so fantastic. Well, listen, I am so excited about what you're doing. I would love for you just to share with the listeners, you know, give us an idea of what it is that you're working on. And also, more importantly, what inspired you to do it? That's a big question, but I'll try to be brief sure. in the answer. So the inspiration comes from inside, right? My own personal journey to find purpose in my life. The, you know, I'm gifted and to have this wonderful career yeah. in the market research industry, such a gift. But I felt that there has to be more. There has to be something more that I should be doing with my talents, but I had no idea what. And it's a very long story to go into how I stumbled across this little word joy. But let's just say that, you know, through my own challenges, through the own struggles with the darker side of life, I realized that joy is a thing not only I need, but I have this ability to, to bring it to others, to be an inspiration, to use my talents, my connections um, within the research industry to bring joy to others. And how about you, Debbie? A little different story, okay. uh, not to go into too much detail, but sure. I'm one of those lucky ones that was sort of born with a lot of joy. Yeah. And um, if you know anything about our research that we found along the way from Harvard, You know, we're born with so much joy, a specific percentage. It's just in our DNA. And then some is circumstantial. And of course, a lot we have control over. Right. So I'm one of those lucky ones that had a lot of joy, but maybe a couple decades ago started feeling a little less joy. Mm. A lot of that's circumstantial. You know, my father's death and then, I don't know, 9-11 really sort of set me off. Yeah. So Andrew and I know each other for years. We talked about a million different topics. And I think how we feel and our passions has always sort of trickled into those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think about five years ago or so, we really started talking about the world and what we could do and how we could make it better and what drives us. And I think that's where this all stemmed for me, is that I felt the need to build a little more joy for myself, even though I'm fairly joyful. Yes. If I could build for myself, how can I have to be able to help others? 
And what was that moment when you guys actually decided, you know what, let's do the, you know, like next year's a year of joy. Like what, I want to be at the table or the conversation of what he said, let's do it. It was probably midnight for Andrew <laughs> and seven in the morning for me <laughs> being across you yes. know, worlds apart. That's, yeah. We've been talking about joy for a while and it started with the art and science of joy being from this industry. And how do we put science into this research into this because we're so research minded and yeah. diving deep. And one thing leads to another and we're talking at the CEO summit and we're talking about our just the art and science of joy and how that is relevant individually as well as on a corporate level or business level. Mm-hmm. How if people are individually building and working and sharing about joy and emotions and feelings that there's success for not only the individual, but for the business. Yeah. And we want, we were taking it one person, one company at a time. How do we make it bigger? And that's when Andrew came up with, put it out there. That's, <laughs> awesome. that's fantastic. Andrew, were you going to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to add that, you know, I think there's so many wonderful people in this space. You know, I started off doing this podcast, talking to people who are wonderful experts on things like gratitude, empathy, nutrition, family life, crisis, whatever the thing is. There's just so many wonderful people in this world. But if we look at the media, if we listen to the news, we get this perception that the world's going to the dogs, right? That humanity's going to the dogs. But I find an alternative reality when I talk to these people, which is a much better space. It's full of people who are joyful and trying to help others Mm -hmm. as well as help themselves. Mm -hmm. And I thought, we've got to give these people a voice. We've got to help elevate these wonderful people. And how can we do that? Well, we can do that through our connection to the research industry and the wonderful people within this industry, but also the power this sector has to reach a huge proportion of the population. I think Lenny Murphy said it was 30 million people we touch in the US alone each year through research. That's a huge proportion of the population we can offer joy to. So why not? And I'm crazy enough to say, if I say why not, then I say the next phrase is let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And then Debbie's crazy enough enough to go along. (laughs) Okay. You know, it's funny that you said that there's so much going on in the world, like with the midterm elections, like I found myself watching CNN and I'm like, I cannot do this. I can't do I mean, obviously I did my civic duty. I voted and everything else, but I'm not repeating two years ago or even four years ago with all of this. And that's just one piece of it. There's so many other things that are happening in the world. So tell me a little bit more about the initiatives around the art and science of joy. Well, if I take the year of joy and then Debbie can talk about EQ joy, I think that's a good way to split it up. So I'll start with the the year of joy. So the year of joy is all about making 2023 a year where we don't get sucked into all the challenges around us. Yes, we don't push them under the carpet. Yes, we don't ignore them, but we take them for what they are, externalities, which for the most part we can't control. As Debbie said, but what we can control is how joyfully we feel. But we need help, right? This is really hard to do when all these externalities are telling you that the sky's falling down, the world's falling apart. People are overwhelmed. And we think that through community, by bringing people together for a year to intentionally live a joy filled life, that will help them focus 
more on the good things they can do for themselves and for others rather than all the doom and gloom. So basically on the, the 17th of January, the doors to the Year of Joy online community will open and through all of our wonderful partners that we have, we'll invite millions of people to join this Year of Joy. And, you know, we don't know exactly what the pull-through rate will be, but we, we imagine somewhere around 1% will end up actually through the doors. And it's still going to be a blast to have so many people come in and each week be inspired by different experts to find more joy in their lives, whether that's their well-being, their sense of belonging, their impact or their fun, whatever it is, they get to work on these things together. And through the Joy Barometer tool, which measures their their sense of joy, they'll be able to see their progress, which is really important, right? I think many people feel they're not making any progress when actually they are. And so if we can help them see that, they go, wow, actually... I am feeling better now than I was three months ago or six months ago. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true because I feel like we build our own narrative in our minds. And it's not like, you know, if you're a person who journals, you can go back and look or whatever. But I don't think everybody does that. And so you continue playing that same narrative and you're like, nothing's happening. Nothing's moving here. But I love the idea of like actually saying, let's take a pulse and kind of reinforce the fact that you're doing, you're actually making progress towards being more joyful. That's very cool. And Debbie, what about EQ Joy? So if we take a step back and say, how do we build a society that sort of looks a little different in the future? Yeah. When it comes to joy or being able to manage emotions and feelings, we have to start with the children. So, you know, Andrew really developed this game with his daughter and it, teaches young children at the same time as it teaches their parents or their guardians, their teachers, whoever the adult is, it teaches them about emotions. It really teaches emotional intelligence. So, you know, this was going to be just something we had. And then we said, well, after talking to a number of people, why not make that a nonprofit? Let's Mm -hmm. give that away. Let's just make sure our children, the children, the next many generations of this world are equipped better than they are now. We'll have less teen suicide, less issues with teens, with young adults, with adults. And then when those adults that have learned to be emotionally intelligent are our next generation of parents, Mm -hmm. they will in turn instill that in their children. The world could look very different in two, three, four generations. And that would be a goal. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to leave behind? Be amazing. Be amazing. Yeah. So we're lucky enough to do all our due diligence and get nonprofit status. And we are now actually looking for founding donors for the rest of this year to be our foundation of this charity. Then next year, we will go out to the corporations for funding. We will produce these games and give them away. We have school districts looking for them, boys and girls clubs, homeless shelters with families, a number of, of places where they'll do really an abundance of good. Yep, Um, that's also a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And lofty goal, Andrew and I talked about very lofty down the road is that every child that goes into first grade gets this game. Oh, that's a, I love that goal. Worldwide? Worldwide, eventually. We have somebody who's already interested in translating it 
into Spanish. And as we move along, we'll we'll use other languages. Right now, it's only in English. Fantastic. Let's just talk about what is joy? Like we all probably have different perceptions of what joy is. And, you know, we interpret it differently. I'd be curious to hear your perspective. Obviously, you guys have done a lot of research on it. Well, let me start that one. And then Debbie will build on on my approach because it really is an individual thing you know the research showed us shows us that there are these common building blocks to joy these four blocks of your well-being your sense of belonging whether you're having a positive impact and whether you're having any fun in your life one of the interesting things when we did this among ceos the two areas where they were struggling at one was their physical well-being and the second one was their, their lack of fun the community and fun kind of aspect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So it's very individualistic. And, and we found when we look at people who are struggling with their joy, obviously well-being is super important, right? That mm-hmm. they have this love for self, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, or indeed spiritually, they need to find this, this well-being, the ability to love themselves. But what we found is that there's this cohort of people that struggle to do that on their own. Mm-hmm. So the problem is with these well-being programs, it's many of the people who are struggling don't know how to do it on their own. And many of the people who are doing it well have no benefit from an extra thousand steps. Right? They right. could be doing something more purposeful with their time. So by giving this sense of community to people looking to build their well-being, they can do it together. They can find peers who are also struggling to get off the couch Right. right. We're not going to run a marathon today, but hey, guys, let's all use the stairs yeah. this week. Right. Whereas somebody else is going to say, no, I'm fine with my well-being. I need a sense of purpose. Right. I need to help others. Inspire me to volunteer. Inspire me to donate my time and my energy to build community and not focus on myself. So it becomes very individualistic. And that's where the recipe of joy helps because it enables people to to find their own mm-hmm. recipe amongst these ingredients. What do you think, Debbie? Absolutely. It is very custom to each person. Yeah. And yet there's total commonality just with the human race. Right. right. As Andrew said, we know from the research that has been conducted and research we've conducted right. that the most joyful people have all of those core elements, that they have a good sense of well-being, a good sense of belonging, and the most joyful people are doing something positive, mm-hmm. having a positive impact on either or both people and the planet. And then fun is the thing that just sort of brings us that happiness piece, right? right? But joy is a muscle. It, is. it takes yeah. effort. It is not someone telling you a joke, although that's a wonderful thing that you can laugh at. Mm-hmm. It is just like having to build those abs that I don't have. It's just <laughs> like being able to run the marathon, which I cannot do. But it's an effort. You have to say, I want this. I want it enough that I'm going to put some time into it. It. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about joy is that you can just have it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's really true. And it's definitely not true in this day and age with all of the challenges. We're all globally, we are all, you know, looking at war and pandemic and potential financial issues and um, elections throughout the world, not just here in the U.S. 
Absolutely. So I think there's just so many things that are in our way, or I call them noise, Mm -hmm. that can bring you down and take away your joy. That, as you said, Seema, you didn't want to watch the news and be focused on the election like in the past where it has brought you down. And part of that is finding a way to look at it differently would bring you joy. So reframing it a little. But that also takes effort, just like it might take effort to say, I would be better spending my time helping my children and feeling like I've done something worthwhile and purposeful. So joy is not only something that elevates your mood, which is what people really think. It elevates your purpose. Yeah. Don't you think that, and I could be completely wrong about this, but to experience joy is to also accept yourself, like knowing who you are, understanding, you know, I don't want to say good or bad, but just understanding you as a person to then be able to elevate yourself for sense and purpose. Self-awareness, it's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we call it love for self. Love for in self. In many ways, right? It's, yep. It really is fundamental to this. If you can't look in the mirror and honestly say, you know, I love you, Andrew. I love you, yeah. Debbie. I love you, Seema. You're going to struggle with the other parts, yeah. right? Because you're pushing things away. You're hiding things. And it's this self-reflection, this ability to accept your Let's not call them weaknesses or right. right the characteristics that you rather you didn't have. Yes. And some of those are inherited, right? They're not really yours. They've just come down and they've been nurtured through your childhood or whatever. So the things you have to deal with, things you can't change, but things you can recognize and create ways of limiting the destructive impact of those. And to realize that joy is relative. Right? For you yeah. personally, as well as somebody else, you know, sometimes in the morning I wake up and I don't feel that joyful. Right. That's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. I remember when I asked the question, what brings you joy earlier this week to some people? And somebody said, well, I didn't want to answer straight away because I was having a bad week. <laughs> uh, they had to wait until somebody, you know, unexpectedly sent them a bunch of flowers. Yeah. And all of a sudden, boom, they're there. And so don't expect every day, every moment to have this Dalai Lama-like joy. You know, it's just not realistic for most people to feel that, hey, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel angry at something in the world, but don't let it eat you. Don't let it. Don't let it define you. Exactly. Exactly. Children are definitely a passion of mine in terms of helping because the kids don't choose to be in the situations they're in. They're kind of born into them. And I wonder what your perspective is in terms of the deluge of information that they get from, you know, technology, social media, TV. Like, do you think that has impacted the children as it relates to them feeling joyful? I would say that has absolutely impacted. It could be both in a joyful or an unjoyful way. I don't think we can ignore what's out there because we can't go backwards and say, let's just not have that. It's in front of us. Yeah. And frankly, Seema, and yes, for the children, I feel more compassion about what's going on, but this is for adults as well. And probably the teenage group is the one that suffers the most if there's suffering that's going on. There's just a lot of information out there and a lot of access, and not all of it is in a positive format. I think if it's in a positive format, we 
do much better for our children and ourselves, but it's not. You know, unfortunately, humankind is not made up of kind humans. Yeah, that's actually a good quote. And <laughs> and it's sad. Here's where we think we're going to make a difference, Andrew and I, to give someone the opportunity for them to make the difference is that they're going to choose to work on the things and be around and have access to and surround themselves with things that will be more typical of kind humans. Nice. Because that is something that will bring you joy. I think Debbie mentioned, she already mentioned 9-11 at the beginning of the yeah. conversation. I don't think people realize how fundamental that was in shaking the foundations of society yeah. and our collective psyche, not just in the US, but globally, really, where you know nothing became sacred in some respect. And fear became the dominant energy. And since then, it's been wave after wave, seemingly of, of different crises, which have built upon this. So anybody who's under the age of 20 has basically been drawn up in a world with fear. Yeah. And that's impacted the parents more than anything else. We talked about this even, right? You won't let your kids climb a tree. And you won't let them face any danger. And so that they've been brought up into this perception that the world is just full of fear and they don't know how to deal with that. So I'm totally with you on their feeling of helplessness of hopelessness that we need to change we need to empower them to say no that's not how it is you have the ability to decide how you react to these things i remember a wonderful guest on the podcast way back called terry tucker had the most challenging life you could imagine and his quote which sticks in me still today was andrew we're all going to feel pain in our life that's it but we choose whether we suffer or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. For the kids to understand that, right? You yeah. can't get away from yeah. all of these challenges. You're going to fall on your knees. You're yeah. going to have a bloody nose. That's okay. But are you going to suffer? That's your choice. Right. And this notion of like, it's okay if you sit with pain. It's not going to kill you. You can sit with it. It will pass and you'll come on the other side. It is critical that we don't ourselves, our peers, our colleagues, and our children, that we are honest to say, however you feel is how you feel. Yes. yes, And that's okay. The bigger picture is how do you manage that, right? How do you get, as Andrew always says, how do you not let that be the only thing that's happening? You know, how do you get past that? It might not make getting past it mean you'll be joyful that day. Right. But two days later, you might be joyful thinking about the fact that you were able to get past that. Yes. Right. And look back and say, I did it. I got through mm-hmm. it. And I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm still standing. Right. Let's switch gears for companies. You talk to CEOs. Obviously, this is something that's important for a workforce to potentially tap into. How are CEOs receiving this message and the importance of it? I think they fall into two camps, to be honest with you. There are those who get it and those who don't. And and to be honest with you, we're ignoring those who don't. We're not spending our energy really trying to convince anybody that joy is a thing. If you don't get it, you don't get it. But we know and we've met so many CEOs such as yourself, Seema, who get it, right, and understand that joy can be a powerful 
engagement tool, a powerful gift to the employees as a way of recognizing as humans, as holistic humans. You know, well-being programs are fantastic and, you know, companies should invest in those as much as they can. Right. But they're only one aspect of a human, as we talked about, right? Yeah. If somebody doesn't have a sense of belonging or if they're not spending their, their time serving others, if they could, mm -hmm. then they're missing a trick. So employees that can recognize that and can help their employees find purpose in their lives, mm -hmm. find belonging. Uh, it's a gift that I think will pay back. You know, we talk about the great resignation. We talk about right. quiet quitting, all of these things. So it's a real problems, as you know, for CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do things within your company to, to help ease that. But fundamentally, this is a human issue. Do you think that there's a lot of challenges for CEOs to, you know, they're used to a management style, which is they can have people in the office, they can manage them, you know, collaborate and be creative but there's a workforce that says look after covid i don't want to come back into the office do you think that plays into this concept of joy meaning they're taking care of their whole self and maybe they're not you know yearning to get it from the organization totally but their ability to get it in their personal lives their community and then work is just one part of it i wonder if that's a component I, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head, Seema. I think we used to talk about that work-life balance. Yeah. And and I think that no longer exists. There's, it, it, that's Or that's not the right term, I should say. I yes. think it's the work-life integration. It's called the whole life. Agreed. Work is one aspect of life. And work could be paid for or not paid for, right? Yeah. Being a stay-at-home mom is work. Yes. And how do you incorporate that into your life? So right. I think... When COVID happened and we wound up staying home and life did change for so many people, not just because they were at home working, but a variety of things happened, right? I think people started saying, we have to relook at what does work look like mm -hmm. in this day and age? Right. And I'm in the camp that it's time for a change. Yeah. And I think that's what people are saying. Yeah. It is time for a change. This rat race, as I call it, that I've been on for 40 some years, yeah. you know, and working 14 and 15 hour days and being in the office and away from home, that's probably not necessary right. because we have the technology to support us to do the work we used to do that we didn't have the technology for. Yeah. So I think these are some of the pluses, right? I think we have to change with those new inventions, those new ideas, then it, it gives us an opportunity to rethink what does work look like? What does life look like? What does life look like? I mean, yes. it's thing I've talked to younger CEOs and they don't think twice about it. Like, I don't care where they work, they work wherever they want. And, you know, quite frankly, whenever they want, because if they get their work done and it doesn't impact other people, I'm good. Yeah. It doesn't even cross their mind because they grew up that way. It's a very different perspective. You know, say. Well, I was going to say, you know, we could go down a spiritual rabbit hole on this one, but I won't. But it's part of a fundamental shift in society, I believe, away from this sort of control top down 
society, patriarch society, if you want to call it, you know, where a man has more power or bigger balls or whatever you want to call it, and therefore dictates what everybody else can do to a more matriarch society where it's more inclusive, everybody's collaborating, everybody's empowered to do what they need to do. They don't need to be controlled. We we can ban the word management. Right. right? There's no need for it in this new world. Everybody manages themselves, right? As long as they know what they're doing, as long as they have that broader box defined, let them go, let them run with it. Well, I'll say, Andrew, every time I see you, you are always smiling, always laughing and joking around. And it's been, I don't know how many years that I see you at different conferences. And, And Debbie, I've met you a few times. Always so lovely to see you and chat with you. And I, I really am so happy that you guys are doing this. It makes me really happy and appreciative that you're putting your time, which you never get back, into this really important initiative. And please, looking forward to seeing it bloom and grow. And if I can be of help in the future, let me know. Absolutely. Be careful what you say. Andrew <laughs> told me that too the other day. He's like, be careful what you wish for. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's so wonderful to have your support already, Seema, you paradigm sample, you know, helping so much with this. And I think now, you know, we've got over 20 companies who are taking part in this initiative already, giving their resources, giving their time, giving their money to making this happen. So yes, we're, we're doing our bit, but we're not alone. And there's a whole group of volunteers. I think there's probably over 40 volunteers who have said, hey, I want to help. How can I do this? Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, it just attracts people yeah. who want to make a difference and serve. And we're just how you know grateful to be really people who can make that happen for them. It's as simple as that. And, you know, we're, we're getting our gift from this. All right. Thank you so much again for your time. And I look forward to watching this initiative continue to grow. Thank you. We appreciate this conversation, but all the conversations we've had. Thank you. Um, and look forward to future ones. I think it's going to be exciting. And the more people that get on this joy train, the better this train ride will be. Yeah, we can change the energy of the world. Yes. <laughs> and we will. And yes. we will. Yes. Let's yes. do it. Thanks, Seema. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.